Welcome to the River of Life Church podcast, your home for weekly messages that will equip you in your spiritual growth. Thank you from everyone here at ROLC and enjoy the sermon. It's time for a move. Pastor Craig, what are you talking about? It's time for a move. Well, it's moving day. That means we're about to encounter a move of God. How many believe that here? I know I do. What did you come expecting today? Nothing? Then go back home. But if you come expecting God to show up and do something in your life, then you're going to have a move of God and you're going to walk out of these doors different from the way you came in. That's what I want. I may be his mouthpiece, but as I deliver, as he flows through me, I want him to rub off on me. So there's going to be a move of God in this house. Move of God, what do you mean? Dancing, signs, wonders? Well, God could do that. But the real move we're looking for is for him to move on our hearts. The heart is the key to everything. You know, it says in Scripture, love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, and mind. Notice the emphasis on heart. We want to love him with all of our heart. When I proposed to Cindy, I said, I love you with all of my heart. I didn't say, Cindy, will you marry me? I love you with most of my heart. Almost all of my heart. Why is God different? We need a move of God. Our nation needs a move of God. There's been so much infiltration. And what do I mean by infiltration? I mean wickedness, just changing all of the talking points of our country, even in churches. Churches embracing and, and proclaiming things that are in complete contradiction to the written word of God. Jesus came to forgive and to set people free. And that's what his word is about. And he's going to do it today. Not only in this auditorium, but for those who are worshiping with us online. So with the move of God, that means God moves us from faith to even greater faith. One of my favorite worship songs, we haven't done it in a while, we're going to put in a request. It's glory to glory to glory. How God, it, it will never arrive in this lifetime. Wouldn't that be boring? Well, been there, done that, that's it. Now what am I going to do for the rest of my life? God takes us from a level to level. Glory to glory. From faith to greater faith. He wants us. He even said we would have greater faith. On the day of Pentecost, it said with great faith, the apostles gave testimony And then it says, great grace was upon them all. I want some great faith and great grace. How about you? He will move you from sorrow. Broken hearts happen when you live this life. Sometimes we're brokenhearted because of a failed relationship, the loss of a loved one who passes. We're brokenhearted because maybe we made some decisions that we know hurt others that we hold dear and so close to our hearts. There's a lot that happens in life. And the Lord says he came to turn our mourning, as in sorrow, our mourning into dancing. He wants to mend broken hearts. He wants to move us from sorrow to joy. So with that little bit of a synopsis, let me ask again. How many are ready for a move of God? That kind of a move on the heart to wherever you are, God sees it. And he says, don't worry, I've got you. And I'm going to take you 
to a new place in me. Oh, Lord, that scares me. When God says new, it's always good. If I said to someone, I have a brand new car parked out front. It's a Lincoln Continental, brand new with leather seats, and they're heated on these cold, cold days. You'd be excited. You haven't seen the car. But you know it's brand new, and it's yours, and it's paid for. When God says, I'm doing something new, why argue? Say, give it to me, Jesus. I'll take it. Behold, I do a new thing. I like that. So don't be afraid for him to bring a move that will take you to a new place, a new level, a new intimacy, a new relationship where you'll encounter him. I, I, I was talking with some of, the, some of the brethren after first service, and I said, you know what the problem with American Christianity is? People have fallen out of love with Jesus. Have you ever heard someone say, I love you? And then hear someone else say, I'm in love with you. Which would you rather hear? I love you or I'm in love with you. We need to fall back in love with Jesus. The Apostle John, he said when writing the book of Revelation, the Spirit of God came to him, Jesus appeared to him, and he spoke of one of the churches who had lost their first love. We've fallen in love with everything the world has to offer. And I think in part some of that is due to dead churches or religious churches or condemning churches. Churches, if they're not bringing the love of Christ, how's anyone, how are anyone going to experience that love? And so I'm ready to fall even more deeply in love with Jesus. Life is busy. Look at the person next to you and say, you look busy. Life is busy at times, isn't it? And, and if we're not careful, we don't guard ourselves, we can become so busy, it's like two strangers passing in the night, Jesus and us, right? So it's just time to take notice, slow down, and when it's his moment, give it all to him. Amen. Lift your hands, pray this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father I'm, ready for a move. I'm ready for a move. Touch and transform, Touch and transform. my life. My life. I, want I want all that you have for me. In Jesus, name. In Jesus' name, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now, if you meant to, give a big clap offering. <laughs> to receive and sustain a move of God. Do you know what you need? I include myself. A firm foundation. Anybody involved in construction out there, have you ever been involved with laying a foundation to a house? Maybe you're putting in a, uh, a deck and you put pillars and foundations around so that the deck is supported. But foundations are very important with construction. It's also very important in academics. Have a strong, good, solid academic foundation that you can build on. Foundations aren't meant to be that in alone of itself. Foundations are meant to be built upon. Level after level, story after story. And when the foundation is strong, then you'll be able to receive and even sustain what God is doing, all because you have laid a firm foundation. Now, I'm going to speak from a portion of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, one verse, verse 13. Many refer to as the love chapter. I know we just had Valentine's Day, so happy Valentine's to all of you and to all of you watching the broadcast. 
But this is not really about a romantic narrative. This is really about how to excel in our Christian faith. I don't think anyone wakes up saying, I hope I fail today. People, especially when it comes to the things of God, they want to do right. They want to grow. They want to succeed. You can't do that without a foundation and a firm one at that. And so when Paul talks here in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he actually shares with us what it takes to really have the right support. Look at it with me, just one verse. And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is what? Love. Paul is revealing here in this scripture three foundational, and I call them pillars, three foundational pillars for life. Pillars that are immovable. Pillars that are ageless. Pillars that were, that are, and will ever be. Pillars that cannot be separated from God. They're connected, inseparable, because these pillars are who God is. Have you ever heard the term the attributes of God? The attributes of God means who God is. Attributes, qualities, character traits. They're a part of him. They can't be separated. If you look at the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatian church, chapter 5, he talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You also see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, He speaks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. One day, after all that God is doing is said and done, and he sets up his eternal kingdom, there'll be no more need for the gifts of the Spirit. Right now, there still is. Because we live in a fallen, broken, hurting world. And we need the supernatural to empower us as we walk in the natural. But one day, when it's all said and done, the devil has been thrown into the bottomless pit. A kingdom of righteousness is established. And Jesus will rule and reign for the ages to come with his church, believers, by his side. One day when that happens, there'll be no more need for the gifts of the Spirit because there'll be no more imperfection. The devil will have been dealt with once and for all. The final step. How many are ready for that? Say amen. But do you know what will never pass away? The fruit of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they're the Holy Spirit's fruit. It's who he is. If you read your Bible, you'll see that God reveals himself in three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So the fruit is who God is. The fruit of the Spirit. God is love. How many believe that? Joy, peace. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control, nine fruits. Those fruits are his attributes. It's who he is. He can't be anything different. And so when Paul is speaking here in this portion of Scripture, it's not just how to have a good marriage. It's how to fulfill the purpose and the destiny that God has placed upon us. Whether you and any of you watching on this broadcast, believe it or not, you were created on purpose. God was intentional. 
with all of your mistakes, your imperfections, your flaws, your fractures, and you look at yourself and say, man, I, I don't really feel I have much worth. Don't you kid yourself. You have value and you have worth in the eyes of Almighty God. If not, you would have never been given the gift of life. Put aside what you see about yourself, the things you love, maybe even the things you hate. Put that aside for a moment. We're not talking about you. We're talking about God's perception and his opinion regarding you. And you were created on purpose. Everything I did before I was a Christian, I was off track. I was out of kilter. I was out of alignment. It's like driving a car and the front end's out of alignment. It just wobbles. I remember I had a truck once, one of my father's trucks that I used to drive for his company. And when you would hit 55, it would, it would get like this. And I would say to my father, you need to get the, that front end aligned or something. And he go, all right, we'll take care of it. Then everybody knew that truck was that way. So we would all make sure any other truck that was needed for the projects we would handle that day. We grabbed any, any other truck but that one. And sometimes we can feel like that. We're, we're out of alignment. God wants us back in alignment. And when we're out of alignment, it's dangerous, it's non-productive, it distracts you, but when we allow the Holy Spirit mm, mm, to align us, everything changes. And that's what a firm foundation will do. And that's why the three aspects of God's attributes that Paul addresses I refer to them as the pillars of our walk with God. The pillars that undergird and support the foundation. These three pillars Paul reveals are pillars that will strengthen and lead us and make us just like Jesus. Now that may seem far-fetched to you, but it's in my Bible. Didn't Scripture say in this same chapter, you shall see him face to face, and you will be just like him? Can God lie? No, he cannot. So how many are ready for a move of God in your life? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. How many are ready for God to do something this morning, right now, in this house? That'll make all things new, strengthen you, empower you, and really bring clarity and direction. God doesn't want us stumbling our way through life. He has a plan for us. He's already mapped it out. His Holy Spirit is the GPS. What happens when you turn your GPS off when you're in an unknown area? You wind up who knows where. But when you stay connected, God will lead you to every point along the way. So at this point, let's begin by looking at the first pillar. The pillar of faith. Remember, Paul says, there remain these three, faith, hope, love. Let's look at faith. Do you know what faith does when it comes to all of the other attributes of God? Faith releases God's character into your life. Everything God does is by faith. How did you get saved? By faith. If you had a need in your body and you were prayed for, they prayed the prayer of faith, right? When you're looking for direction, you seek God and you pray for direction by what? Faith. Everything is by faith. When you're believing for, you know, a need to be met in your life, when you're looking 
for God to provide someone that you can serve him with as, as your spouse for the remainder of your days, however long that may be. You pray that prayer and you believe and you're asking by faith. Faith is what releases the character of God into your life. We all need faith. Faith is what taps in to all of the miracle working ability of God, as well as all of the practicalities of God. How many of you understand that God's practical too? I had a person say to me once, the Lord told me to quit my job and he's going to provide for my mortgage, for my cars, uh, for my bills, for my utilities, everything. I'm not going to work and he's going to supernaturally like the manna from heaven, you know, came for the Israelites when they were in the wilderness. He's going to provide for me. And I said, well, you know, I, I got to be honest as your pastor, I don't really bear witness with that at all. And I just think you need to know that because God says by the sweat of your brow. Now, if you're called into a certain ministry that demands more and it's beyond your resource, then God will send in reinforcements. But what you're really doing is testing the Lord. That's, that's not faith. That's stupidity. Well, they left the church after that, right? Because nobody wants to hear that stupidity. That's not the will of God. You know, let me, let me share a little something with you. If you want to really succeed in life, always embrace a teachable spirit. The Bible says test the spirits, 1 John 4. Test the spirits to see if they're of God or not. So just because you get what you think is a word from God, God does speak that way, but just because you get one doesn't mean it is from Him. You know there are three spirits that speak. The Holy Spirit, our human spirit, our natural man, and demonic spirits. So how do we know when God is speaking? You test the spirits. How do you do that? That's another teaching. You can come to me later. I'll expound further. Or our children's workers will be very frustrated when I go beyond our timeline so that by the time they are ready to release the kids, it will be insanity, not insanity, right? So they left the church then about a year later, never heard from these people, but I did receive word from a relative that they had lost their home, they had seen their vehicles repossessed. And then finally, the individual went back to working after they had lost investments, even a home that was almost entirely paid off. Why did things go awry? Because that was not faith. That was flesh, humanity. All things are possible when we know the direction we're receiving is from God. Amen? And God will do whatever's necessary to keep us on course, to keep us on track, to continue to encourage us, build our faith. But if we begin to move out of the parameters of the written word of God to whatever we feel in the moment, that's a very dangerous way to live your life. And you know what in the end what it does? It gives God a bad rap. Because people say, well, I heard from God, I did what he said, and look what happened to me. When the truth is, it was never from God to begin with. So faith, faith's important because faith needs to be attached to something. Not our desires, not our whims, not our dreams or visions. God does do that. He speaks to me many times through dreams and visions on specific occasions. But I still test them to make sure it is God. But faith attaches to the Word of God that supports whatever God is saying. 
in its proper context. What do you mean, Pastor Craig? Look at Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus is speaking here about faith. He says, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing shall be impossible for you. Now this past Wednesday, I've been teaching a series on prayer and fasting. If you're not coming out on Wednesday nights, you need to come out. It is a powerful time in the Word of God. And so I've been going through multiple weeks on prayer and fasting because it's something, quite frankly, Christians have lost sight of. Some don't even understand what it is at all. Where they're getting their, their uh, definition of fasting is more from the medical arena, which says intermittent fasting. And that's a healthy thing to do. It's good. I practice that. But prayer and fasting from a biblical spiritual perspective is about when we take and we deny ourselves of food hydration and, and other carnal desires that are not against the Word of God for a season so our spirit become, can become more astute and in tune with the Holy Spirit of God. Many miracles and directions that Cindy and I have encountered in our lives and ministries have been through prayer and fasting. And I believe it's something that all in this church, and even beyond those of you who are watching from around the world, this is something you need to apply to your life. So I was teaching on prayer and fasting, and remember this past Wednesday I talked about how when the little boy who was demon-possessed and would have seizures and he would fall into the fire and into the water, that this father of this child had heard about Jesus. So he brought his son to where he heard Jesus was, but when he got there, only the disciples were there at that moment. Where was Jesus? He was up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. And that's when the Lord then opened the heavens and Moses and Elijah, two great prophets from the Old Testament, appeared to Jesus. And this was a prophetic divine moment in preparation not only for the Lord's crucifixion and resurrection, but for the end times, what will happen as things begin to wind down with world history and God's plan as he sees it and has ordained it. And so after that encounter, Jesus, who had already been in prayer and fasting, you find that out later in the scripture as you read down, he comes off the mountain and then he comes up to the remaining disciples, the other nine, and they're all in a flurry. And then the father of the boy runs to Jesus and says, Jesus, please have mercy on my son. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't help him. He's met with disappointment. Jesus said, bring him to me. Finally, the little boy comes. Jesus says, come out. He's set free instantly at that very moment, the Bible says. Then later, when they're in a private moment, the disciples and Jesus, they said, Jesus, why, why couldn't we cast that spirit out? When you empowered us with the 70, we went out and when we came back, we were rejoicing because even the demons were subject to us in your name. So this was a demon. Why didn't our prayers work? And then Jesus, he talks about mustard seed faith, but then he goes one step further and he uses that one word that is so significant. It's an interconnect. He said, however, these kinds, speaking of demon spirits, only come out through prayer and fasting. So when you look at a mustard seed, a mustard seed is a beginning point. 
And if a mustard seed can give authority to believers to cause a mountain to move from one place to another, how much more when that seed germinates, grows, and becomes a living tree? Then it produces even greater fruit with many, many more mustard seeds that come from the fruit of that tree. So mustard seed is just a starting point for faith. But as we grow and mature, and we understand the dynamic of what stands behind faith in Almighty God, that's when nothing is impossible. Nothing. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. The writer says, but without faith, everybody say faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Who? God. So how many want to be a God pleaser today? Then you need to activate faith. You need to learn how to walk by faith, speak faith, you know, pray in faith. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who not just seek him, but diligently seek him. See the connect of faith here and how it's so imperative in our walk and relationship with God and even beyond ourselves, the impact our lives can make when faith is at the proper level that allows God to flow and do things that we're unable to do in our own ability, but with Christ, all things are possible. Amen. All things. Think about it. Faith gets the job done. Amen? What do you mean, Pastor? Well, wasn't it faith that enabled Noah to build the ark? I mean, starting the project was probably easy. In the beginning, yeah, oh, it's new, it's fresh. But do you know how long that building project took? 120 years. That's a long time. Most people die before that. But he stayed the course. He had faith. That's why that faith enabled him to get the job done. It was faith that blessed Abraham with a son of promise. And then here we have Messiah, our Christian faith. All because Abraham believed God. He had faith. It was faith that parted the Red Sea for Moses and the Israelites. Faith is quite remarkable, don't you think? It was faith that brought down the walls of Jericho and faith that strengthened David to face and defeat Goliath. It was faith that strengthened Jesus to endure the agony of the cross as well as the crucifixion and death. Stepping into the unknown, he had never known death. He is the antithesis. But when he became man, his humanity had to die. So that the superhumanity, the divine, the life that he carries, I am the way, the truth, and the what? Life. Eternal life. Life in its absolute sense. Zoe. So that that life then could connect with, latch on to, human life. So that like Jesus, once it's all said and done, that's why the gift of God, salvation, is eternal life. Do you know one day when you step into heaven, you're never going to die again? You may not die in this lifetime. The trumpet of God, the shofar of God may sound, and the rapture will happen, and bang, you're going to meet the Lord in the air. On the way up, you're going to get a whole new body. Any of you who have had knee replacements, hip replacements, 
They're all going to go away. No titanium in this new body. You're going to receive a glorified body. I'll get my hair back. I'm looking for that. Somebody say amen. I'm excited for the return of Jesus. When this mortal puts on immortality, when this, when, when this limited physical being steps into limitlessness. But I'm believing it all by faith. It hasn't happened yet. But one day it will. For those who have already preceded us into heaven, they've died. Your loved ones, they're already there. But when the trumpet of God sounds, the Bible says, their bodies are going to come out of the earth and be reunited, reunited with their spirit that's already in heaven. Just like Jesus, glorified body. Glorified body. Do you know man wasn't made to die? Adam and Eve, they weren't born, they were created. There was no baby shower for Adam. He had no parents. God gave him life. There was no baby shower for Eve. They were created, formed, and fashioned, and they were instant adults in their prime. Scientists and theologians bring out that that would approximately be in the mid-20s, maybe like 28 years of age. So that means when we all are in the presence of God, we're going to go back to the way things would have been if sin had never entered into the equation. Praise the Lord. No diets, right? You won't have to count your carbs. Somebody say amen. Amen. There'll be food because we will eat in heaven. That's why it's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Can you imagine? All of this we embrace because it's in the Word of God. We attach our faith not to hope as far as, well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, the world's definition of hope, but we attach our faith to the surety of the unchanging Word of God. I like that. Amen. Somebody asked, what mountain are you facing? Whatever the mountain is you're facing, speak. Speak. What am I saying? Faith speaks. Faith speaks. Do you know the devil doesn't know your thoughts? Scripture says only God knows the thoughts and the intentions of a man's heart. So the devil doesn't know what you're thinking. He doesn't know until you verbalize it, until you speak. So if the devil's hammering you with destructive thoughts or temptations, desires, addictions, and you know and love Jesus, first you're free if you know him. Then begin to speak the word of God in opposition to these assaults against your life. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Can you imagine going up to someone, you see them there like this? What are you doing? Taking authority over Satan. And so he can't hear you. What do you mean? He can't hear you. God hears you. But he can't hear you. He's the one that needs to hear from you. So speak. Faith speaks. Isn't that what Romans 4.17 says? God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. There are some times when you feel like you may be walking in the midst of sickness, disease, in the midst of despair, in the midst of heartbreak, in the midst of failure, in the midst of there's no hope in sight. And that's when by faith, everybody say by faith, you speak what isn't to the natural eye 
to what you see and what you feel, you speak it. I am the healed of the Lord. I will live and not die and declare the glory of his name. Speak the opposite. My God, you're ready to lose maybe possessions in your, because finances are so overstrained in your household. My God will supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus. David said, I was young and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed. That means my children. I pray that in my grandchildren, all nine of them. I will never see them homeless and forsaken, begging for bread. Well, I am, then change it. Faith speaks. God's growing people up now. We want a move of God. How do we get it? When we understand what God has equipped us with and made possible for us to access in his name. Jesus said, you do greater works than these. Greater works. Do you know faith is the tip of the spear? It's what hits first and separates. Throw your spear. I encourage you to memorize the Bible, scripture verses in the Bible. Find verses that deal with what you're going through, whether it's healing, whether it's finance. Maybe you're struggling with something, an addiction that you, you know Jesus now, but, but you're taking steps now to, to, to re-educate yourself with what God says now about your life. You know, memorize scriptures that reinforce that. If it's fear that hits you, God doesn't want us bound by fear. Fear is faith, but it's faith in the devil's lives. Faith is faith and confidence in the promises of Almighty God. Speak the word of God. Faith is the tip of the spear. It's what opens the door for you and I to grow in our understanding, in our relationship with him. However, faith in and of itself, and this is where the world tries to use these terms, faith, hope, and love, without God's, you know, without God's foundation to it. However, faith in and of itself is not enough to ensure a firm foundation. That's why faith is followed by the second pillar, the pillar of hope. What exactly does hope mean? Look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. We have this hope. Everybody say hope. This is how I keep you awake. I have you repeat things. Say it again. Say hope. There you go. We have this hope as an anchor. I like that. An anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Now, the Bible was not written in English. It was translated into English. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, that's the Torah. And the New Testament, the Gospels and the Epistles, were written in Koinaic Greek. When I went and prepared for ministry, I was trained to be able to study in the original language of the Bible, the original manuscripts. So when you look at the word hope that's used here, which is different from Webster's Dictionary, by the way, when you look at the word hope that it's used by the New Testament authors, you'll find it's the word elpizo. And the word elpizo, hope, is defined as hope or trust. Let's take it up a notch. To anticipate with confidence. Let's take it up to the definition that really rang my bell. A confident expectation. In other words, you're expecting with confidence at the same time. So in other words, this hope is based on what will happen, a confident expectation. So when you pray, 
You expect to see those prayers answered because you know it's the will of God. What will happen? Well, what about Webster? How does a secular society define the word hope? Hope is defined in Webster's dictionary as to anticipate with certainty. So that's there. But it also is defined this way. Hope based on what may happen. Rather than El Pizzo, what will happen. Here's a few examples of this kind of faith that Webster's brings out. What may happen. I hope this operation is a success. I hope they offer me this job opportunity. I hope it doesn't snow anymore this season. Nobody said amen to that. This is anticipation without any guarantee. He's just hoping. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. A mindset of what may happen versus what will happen. This is hope without faith. There's no certainty. Why? Because the foundation of faith is the Word of God. You remove the the Word of God, you remove faith, then what's your hope based on? You know, it, it, it becomes like a chance. Let's see what I pull out of the hat. Maybe it'll be the winning ticket this time. Maybe this is my moment. I don't want a faith and a hope like that. How about you? A strong and a firm foundation that will withstand the storms of life is established on the pillar of faith, pillar of hope, and then all because of the pillar of love. Isn't that what Paul says was the greatest of all? The pillar of love. The strength behind your faith and hope in God is the love of God. Without the love of God, there's nothing. I'll I'll dissect that a little bit more. We're just about done here. Jesus spoke about love when he shared with Nicodemus who came to him by night about salvation. Nicodemus said, what must I do to be saved? And then as Jesus expounded, he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, look at the person next to you and say, you are a whoever, that whoever believes in him will never perish, but have everlasting, eternal life. But the emphasis is, for God so loved. It was the love of God that sent Jesus. It's the love of God that gave way to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It was the love of God that revealed the fruit, the attributes of God. The love of God is our doorway into all aspects of the Lord. It's what brings success. Without it, there's only failure. Love is an overwhelming, the love of God, an overwhelming dynamic in the life of people. Not only our lives, but even those we impact. So what kind of love was Jesus emphasizing here? Do you know, again, I mentioned about the Koine Greek. There are four words the Greeks use for the word love. The first word that they use is the word eros. It's the same word our English language derives the word erotic from. It's a sexual slash physical demonstration of love. It's not of the devil. It's not evil. God is the one who gave the human body 
the ability to feel this type of a physical demonstration of love. It's when it's used outside of the bonds of marriage and the parameters of the written word of God, people get into trouble. But it is not a dirty thing. It's a God thing. It's a gift which demands our utmost respect. Then the second love that's used by the Greeks for love, second word that's used for love, is the word phileo. It's the love of close friends, of brothers. Philadelphia, our city, right down the road. The city of what? Brotherly love. Thus taken from this word phileo. Then there's the love called storge. Storge is the love of family, parents, siblings, a, a love connected by blood. But then the greatest love, and the Greeks use this word only for God, the greatest of all loves, which all of the other loves you know, are subservient to, is agape. Agape defined as God's love, his unconditional love, a love that gives expecting nothing in return. When Jesus went to the cross, he laid it all out, expecting nothing in return. Everyone abandoned him, even his family. Even God the Father eventually turned his back on Jesus, the Son. That's why Jesus cried out from the cross, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? He knew why, but it was more than he could bear in his humanity. But he endured the agony of the cross. He endured death because he had the promise of his Father, Heavenly Father, and that bond of agape, that unconditional love from the Father to Jesus and from Jesus to the Father was a bond greater than death can you imagine, for three days and three nights, Jesus and the Father were separated. Remember, before Jesus took on human form, he was eternal. And I've said this before, but for some that may not understand this, there's a difference between eternal and infinite. Infinite has a beginning, but no end. Eternal has no beginning and no end. So you can go on with eternal, and on and on, and you'll never reach an ending. But unlike, you know, infinite, eternal can go in reverse and bypass, even go beyond when time was created, and it continues and continues. So Jesus and the Father had never been separated, but then because he was willing to pay the ultimate price, Jesus laid down his life. He had no sin in and of himself, but he became sin. And when he was resurrected, it was because he was the spotless Lamb of God. God the Father said, man, that's the longest three days of my eternal history. He said probably to one of the angels, let's get him back on the throne where he belongs. He was faithful. He completed what he was sent to do. And just as Jesus called back Lazarus from the dead, God the Father called his son victoriously out of the belly of the earth into what? Eternity. Raising victorious over sin, death, and the grave. Man, that's the kind of God we're serving and talking about 
today. That's the kind of God that wants to bring a move of His Spirit on you and on me. Amen? A love, a love that can't even be measured. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Do you know there's no faith without love? Just as there's no hope without love. Love is foundational to all of the attributes, all of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You see, the love of God introduces people to faith. When you got saved, then you were introduced to faith. First, it was Jesus and his love and his forgiveness, and faith followed. Love, the love of God introduces people to faith in Jesus Christ, right? Which in turn, what does it do then? It gives people hope again. But not this, you know, maybe so hope, but this no so. It will happen, this expectation. That's what the love does. Restores your faith, restores your hope, and enables people to establish then. If they'll do their part now and feed that relationship and seek after Jesus, if you seek him with all of your heart, you'll find him. Isn't that what the scripture says? And when you do that, that's when a firm foundation is established. And this foundation has the ability to transform our character, to restore broken marriages and families, to love the unlovely and forgive the unworthy. Sometimes when people hold resentment, unforgiveness, bitterness, and they feel like, you know, I deserve this. They don't deserve my forgiveness. Well, that's what God says. You don't deserve mine, but I gave it. Why? Because of agape, unconditional love. Do you know forgiveness isn't trust? You can forgive someone, but still not trust them. Trust is a commodity that Scripture teaches. Paul said this, those who are given a trust must prove themselves faithful. So trust is earned. To whom much is given, much is expected. The forgiveness of God is immediate, it is absolute. But then as we grow in our faith, we're not really earning God's trust, but the fruit and the character of God that begins to exude from us begins to show people around us we're not the same anymore. And then we take and have a greater impact on the lives of those that desperately need the same Jesus you have and I have. So everything about what God does is about his character, and these three pillars are imperative if we're going to have a fruitful life with our Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen? The only strong foundation that will withstand the demands and challenges of life are supported by faith, hope, and love. History is lined with stories of those who lost their faith and abandoned hope. But when we stay connected, Lord, I'm in. I'm in for the long haul. Lord God, do in me, move in me, move through me. Transform me and then help touch and transform the lives of others through what you do in me. When we are all in, knowing that nothing's impossible, you're not even too impossible for God. Growing up, did you ever have your parents say, you're just impossible? Well, you can, you, here's a nice comeback, but you can't go back in time, right? But if someone says to you, you're just impossible, you know, say, I know I am, but God specializes in the impossible. And I'm a work in progress. Amen. Look at the person next to you and say, you're a work in progress. Hallelujah. Faith, hope, without love, is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. You don't build in the storm, you build before the storm. The same thing with faith, hope, and love. Allow God to establish these pillars in your life before you're in crisis, before you're in calamity. Look at John's words in 1 John 4, 8. He who does not love 
does not know God, for God is love. So part of growing is loving the unlovely, forgiving the unforgivable. We do our part. God has promised. He'll do his. Amen? Praise the Lord. Thank God for agape love. It would have all been lost if the writers of Scripture had not mentioned this love that's beyond all loves. The same love that resurrected Jesus from the dead is the same love that will resurrect the likeness of God in you. How many of you want to be like God? How many of you are again ready for a move of God? Then through Jesus Christ, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you can establish a firm foundation. Amen. Amen. Give him praise. Come on. He is so worthy. As the worship team comes back to the platform, I just want to give you an opportunity to make good on what God promised today through his word to you. It's time for you to embrace these three pillars. They're God's pillars. They're God's character. He wants you to embrace the pillar of faith, the pillar of hope, the pillar of love. And that all comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you feel like you've been lacking, if you feel like you've been tossed by the situations and the winds of adversity in life, then God wants to anchor you. Isn't that what it said, that the, that the love of God becomes an anchor? Let him provide the anchor you need to bring you through and to finish what he began. I said to you, you were called and created on purpose. God was deliberate. And he always finishes what he starts. So today, let's add to what God desires to do. I'd like you all to stand, please, now. I also want to say thank you to everyone who's been watching this broadcast. And we hope some Sunday you'll come out and visit us right here. But until then, the Lord bless you. Good night. Thanks for listening to the River of Life Church podcast. Subscribe and rate us right now on iTunes to be first to get access to new audio messages every week. Visit rolcdoylestown.org or like us on Facebook to always stay up to date on what's going on at ROLC. If you would like to support this ministry, visit the online giving page at our website. Join us next time for more from River of Life Church.